Welcome to the Mindful Mutiny Podcast. I am Jeremy Van Wert, CEO, therapist, and high-level coach. On Mindful Mutiny, we thoughtfully rebel against anything that keeps people from obtaining their highest potential. I have an awesome guest with me to really kick off this podcast in a wonderful way. I have Mark Bennett with me. Mark Bennett has been in the background of many of your favorite bands throughout the last couple of decades. Mark Bennett started his career a really long time ago, just working at Guitar Center. He's a warehouse and operations manager, department manager, sales and training manager. And out of that, Mark started making relationships and building a whole career where he has gone all over the planet doing amazing things. He has toured with and played integral roles with Pink, Velvet Revolver, Cher, Prince, Stained, Marilyn Manson, Neo, Korn, Shinedown, Seether, Jonathan Davis, and Chris Jansen. He has been integral with the Mapex Sonar Drums, a U.S. brand manager and artist relations manager, where essentially he is the person that these big name artists call and he makes sure that they're taken care of on the road, that they get what they need, that they're able to say, I'm in Milwaukee right now and I'm missing this part and getting that part to them as fast as possible. You can only do that if you have the ability to make great relationships and figure things out quickly. Mark is a business owner for Backseat Chop Shop Customized Drums, drum heads, drum wrapping, powder coating, programming, electronics, playback, tour, and studio drum teching. He has done so many things in the world of entertainment and music, more than we can even say in a short bio. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast here. Thank you very much. I'm uh, honored to be here and I'm, I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah, I think this is uh, going to be really enlightening for people. Now, I have known Mark for a really long period of time. We do go way back. And so there's parts of Mark's story that I know really well and other parts that I don't know. I know that Mark, you have invited me to a number of the shows where you're sitting in the back of the drum set while there's a giant stadium full of people and you're making sure that that drummer has everything that they need. But that's where the story is in its middle. You grew up in a very different kind of environment. So where did you grow up, Mark? Uh, originally from San Jose, California. Um, I was actually born in Texas, but I was raised in San Jose, California. Um and I got into music in fifth grade. I went was one of the only people that was accepted as a percussionist as a fifth grader. Everyone else had to play different instruments before they went to drums. But for whatever reason, they let me play drums. And I, I went through the school program uh, in middle school. Then I got to high school. And uh, that's when I got into marching band. And that's when I first met you, which was 95, I think it was. Uh, you were just finished your first year with Vanguard Cadets and you became my instructor and that's when our relationship started and we kind of grown from there. And and so for, for people, because this is not a marching band podcast, the Vanguard Cadets are connected with a group out of Santa Clara, California, that it's like a professional marching band, but it's a yep. youth program that's at a very high level and I had been a part of it and then you became a part of it. Yep, that's right. That's right. And then um getting moving through that program has uh uh opened a lot of doors and created uh or helped develop a worth that a work ethic i think that was already um inside of me 
just helped kind of develop my character and my work ethic. And I've basically have applied those skills and lessons that I've learned through that organization to everything I do in life now. So there was a period of time where now you, you graduated from high school and uh, you went directly into working for a local guitar store. And tell me a little bit about how all of that worked. Um, So when I was marching during the off season, you know, you would get a job and you'd work until the summertime and then you'd quit your job and go do, you know, go on tour and compete around the U.S. Um, and I did various different jobs, whether it was, you know, a warehouse position at an electronics company or uh, worked at a lumber yard that my grandfather used to work at, my uncles worked at. Um, and then one of the times I just signed up to go work at Guitar Center in San Jose, I uh, got a job in the warehouse and working for the operations department. And um, that was, it was cool. It was a cool job. I was learning a whole bunch of stuff because I only knew the marching side of things. I didn't know anything else. Um, but unfortunately, I got, uh, I got injured uh, working in the warehouse. I sustained a, a pretty substantial back injury, and that ended my marching career. Um, How old were you was, at this point? What's that? How old were you? I was, I just turned 21, I believe. Okay. Now, just, and for, for those of you who don't know, at 21, that is your final hurrah in this activity. You can do this activity until you are 21, then there's a big ceremony and you are no longer able to do it. So that 20, that year of 21 is a very important year for people in this marching activity. And at that time, you sustained an injury that it stopped you from being able to do that. It, it pretty much stopped me from even just walking or standing up. There was no way in the world I was carrying 50 pounds with the drums anymore and performing. It was a very tough pill to swallow. It was... Um, uh, probably at the time, probably one of the lowest points I think that I was in and one of the most difficult things to fight through. Cause not only was it a situation where like I had to learn how to tie my shoes and stand up and walk again. Um, but I could no longer participate in the thing that I had been working for, for the past, what, uh, eight, nine, 10 years and dedicated my life to. And so I, I, I got robbed of my, my last hurrah. Um, but little did I know that that injury would open up and give me a whole new opportunity and basically the career that I have today, um, kind of came from that derailment, you know, when one door closes and another one opens and, uh, it, it's a, a, a mantra that I tried to, um, keep as as i'm moving through life and things happen it's like okay i'm no longer doing this anymore but there's got to be something else that's coming there's a good reason why this is happening and i think that was one of the biggest uh moments of my younger life where i realized and it took me took me several years to actually look back at it and go oh that right there was a pivotal moment where my life trajectory switched And I really wanted to go this way, but it pushed me a different direction. And I wasn't sure why, but it turned out to be a a, um, pretty incredible uh, change. Um, Yeah. So so you're working at Guitar Center now, and it has to feel in some way a little bit like a letdown. Here I am. All of my friends are out doing this fun activity thing that I really care for. And you're working at Guitar Center. And what happened? Did you just start meeting people in the industry? Well, so... Because I couldn't go back to work in the warehouse anymore, they moved me to sales. They're like, oh, you play drums, you can go sell drums. I had no idea what I was doing. I never played drum set. In fact, 
I remember you trying to teach me drum set back when, you know, in high school and it was just a train wreck. And I just, you know what, this isn't for me. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm good. Let's just play some paradiddles. And uh, so, uh, and, and, and in fact, my department manager, once they moved me to sales, uh, was in my high school with me. He was a trombone player, Jeremy Grimes. Uh, he was my department manager, incredible drum set drummer. And so I remember him saying, all right, well, do me a favor. We got to put a new drum set out on the floor. So go ahead and set it up. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, not a problem. I know drums, whatever. Uh, I may put one of the rack toms on upside down. I did the bass drum backwards. And he came over. He was like, why? <laughs> like, are you, are you messing with me? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And so I literally had to learn everything about drum set. I tried this to is 2000 and. I got hurt in December of 02. So this is 2003, like March, roughly. And uh, it was a crash course of here's how you put a drum set together. Here's how you tune a drum set. When I was in the drum line, I was responsible for tuning everything. So now I had to learn how to tune drum sets, which is a whole other animal. Um, but uh, it's, you know, there's skills that I picked up rather quickly. And, and then, you know, you're playing with this stuff every single day, playing with the electronics and, you know, you have customers coming in and next thing you know, you have a professional drummer coming in because they're on tour. They have a day off. They need something. In my case, um, I had somebody move to the area who just so happened to be Pink's drummer. And I remember the first time he came into the shop, I was working in the warehouse and it was, you know, oh, there's a famous person here. We would all come out and see who it is. And uh, I remember seeing him the first time and then I was in sales when he came back the second time. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're you're Miles Johnson. You're the drummer for Pink. You signed the drum head up on the wall. And he's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And so we ended up becoming friends. And one thing led to another. Um, you know, I put a clinic on for him at the shop because I was running the drum shop at the time. Right. Uh, then we started doing some studio work. And he's going to go do a recording session. He liked the way I tuned and I could set the drums up and everything. So it brought me to the studio, which is probably my favorite. So by this point, you'd realized how to actually set up a drum set. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I figured all of that out. Like I was the expert at this time. You know, this is going 40 years or so. But um, but yeah, so he brought me to the studio, which is my probably one of my favorite places to work. And then that led to live shows and clinic tours. And then, um, you know, I had been climbing the ranks of Guitar Center at that time. I was a sales training manager. So working with um, all the sales team and teaching them sales tactics and merchandising and just you know basically a, a high level supervisor underneath the store manager and then i moved to la and um started working at the hollywood guitar center and same thing climbed the ranks there and i was at corporate training to become the next store manager for the next store that opened up and that was my trajectory this is what i was working on mm -hmm. and then my phone rang out of the blue and it was my list and he goes good news i get to pick my drum tech and you're coming on tour with me. Oh my gosh. And, and how I, old are you at this point? 25, maybe. Yeah, there's only one answer to that, and that's hell yeah. It was no. No. I, yeah, no I, I, no. I don't know if I told you this. Yeah, no, I told him no. I said, no, I'm going to become a store manager. Wow. Okay. 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 And he goes, he's, I remember we, we had multiple phone conversations. This wasn't one phone call. I was like, no, I'm, I'm training to be like, I'm doing this corporate thing and I'm going to run my own store. Oh, dude. And it, it was basically a back and forth of, I don't think you heard me. You're going to come on. You're my drum tech. You're coming on tour with me with pink. 
And I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm doing this other thing. And we went back and forth, several conversations. And uh, then we started talking about the money. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, this is a whole different thing. Cool. Um, maybe we should go and investigate this. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, at the time, uh, my store manager and district manager, the Hollywood store is so big. It has its own district manager in-house, two store managers, multiple sales training managers underneath them. I mean, it's a massive, massive facility. Um, and so a, a few of the people, including my district manager, my district manager was the front of house engineer for the cars. And okay. so he had substantial touring experience and we had multiple really long conversations about this because this was going to be a huge thing. Like if I turn down this opportunity to be a store manager, I'm probably not going to be welcome back to the company anymore because they've invested a lot of time and energy into me. And I remember him saying, um, uh, you know, would I go back and do it now? Absolutely not. I'll never go back to touring again. Would I, if I had an opportunity to go back to the beginning and tour all over again? Yes, absolutely. 1000%. Now? No. And I fully understand today exactly where he's coming from. Um, hey, I got a question for you in the midst of all of this, because it's a, there's a hook that I'm missing in here. And the, the hook is there was something about you, Mark. There was something about you that was really, really interesting and attractive to this guy. He didn't just offer a job to you. He stayed on with you. He wanted your energy, your ambition, your whatever it was that you offered. You probably have more insight into what that is now. What was that? Um. You know, there's the professionalism aspect of it. There's the knowledge and execution aspect of it. But I, I've really put a lot of thought into what my role is as a drum tech. Um, I, I often refer to it a lot as being a golf caddy, right? Um, what my mantra is as a drum tech is it's, it's my responsibility to create an environment that inspires the artist to take his performance to a level that he didn't know was obtainable. That's my job. My job is to have the drums look, sound, feel a way that when they get up on that drum riser, despite anything that's going on in the background of their lives or that day, whatever it is, they sit down, everything is perfect. It feels perfect. They hit whatever drum it is, and it's the best sounding that they've ever hit. And I sit behind them, and it's my job to keep them focused on having the best performance of their life. Not that, you know, when I see something start to get loose and wiggle, I try to fix the problems before they, you know, notice it. You know, I listen to what they listen to. And if something sounds like, hey, the guitar is too loud today, I'm making those adjustments before they notice it because I want them to stay here, right? Nice. I don't want them to get distracted with anything else because some kid, some parent, somebody saved up a lot of money and drove several hours and I've been looking forward to this day for a very long time to see their favorite artist play. And they deserve the absolute best. And so it's my job to help make sure that the artist is able to give them their absolute best. And that's how I've approached this job for such a long time. You know, um, so I, I think, uh, I think a lot of my relationship with him was that level of 
of professionalism and excellence and execution. And those are some of the lessons that were cultivated uh, from the Santa Clara Vanguard. You know, always being your best every single day, despite the conditions, the environment, whatever's going on, giving 110%, not only for you, but the people you're performing with next to you. Um, and always striving for excellence because one day somebody's going to take a picture and that picture is going to last forever. What do you want that picture to look like? Are your, you know, when we put our drums down on the field, are they all stacked nice and even and uniform and perfect, or are they just thrown all over the place? Well, you know, right. those are so like the little, the, you know, it was the excellence. It was the, it was the attention to detail and the excellence. And, and so you're, you're in the midst of making this decision about going on tour with Pink and you know what eventually clicked you in and what was that transition like in your life? Um, the the final this, the final factor was the money when we actually started talking about money because it's it's working at a retail store and being on tour are two different right pay, payrolls and I was like all right well that wins easy enough let's go but it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying because although I knew everything that goes on with a drum set within that drum riser, right? And I knew the microphone plugs on to the drum and the cable goes. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Like <laughs> I could set the drums up and I could tune the shit out of them. The end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was, it was like, you know, a step into a world that I really had no business being in. Um, Cause I literally knew nothing. Thankfully, yeah. um, the guitar tech that we had on tour, who's still one of my closest friends, his name's Tony Hanneman. He lives out in the Gold Coast, Australia. That man took all the time with me and taught me everything from here's how you wind a cable to here's how you pack a semi truck to, you know, here's how you deal with a hangover on the next day when it's 110 degrees. <laughs> um, but no, he's he's literally my best friend and he's the reason why I was able to get through that and become the professional that I am today in this industry. Um, he, he taught me so many, many things that just made me better. Because like I said, I can tune the drums. I can set the drums up. They'd be the same every single day. But everything after that, no clue. How do the risers lock together? How do you stack a semi-truck? How do you know? How do you... Like, I remember the first time I did... When we did the arena tour with Pink because when I first started working with her, we were doing like House of Blues clubs and theaters, all small venues. It was a very small production. Um, and then I remember, you know, we went over to Europe and we jumped into arenas. And I was like, what's an arena tour like? Like, how, like, what are we doing now? You know, because everything was new. Every time we leveled up, stuff I've never seen before, stuff I've never interacted before, it's like, hey, we have a lighting package now and we're carrying a semi truck worth of speakers. How do the speakers go up? What is the, like, what do you mean lighting? And, you know, he literally held my hand through the beginning of my career and helped me put, helped put me on a trajectory for success. Well, you, you learned, you learned many, many different things that are just the kind of have to know and the environmental things. I remember that one, at one point I came and spent a day with you when you were on tour with corn and mm. you set the drum set up in the middle of the room and there were lighting people that were setting up the lights over the stage. Mm -hmm. And I, I asked you, I'm like, well, why don't we take the drum set and just put it on the stage now? Uh, like, like I knew anything. Right. 
and you said no it's it's incredibly dangerous up there you don't you don't want to put anything up there right now until that lighting package is solid and the moment you said that there was a person who dropped a chain from the ceiling accidentally and you heard the whole thing go boom all the way to the ground and you just pointed and you said that's why we're not up there and so you 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 have you have the you you had to learn the knowledge and the dangers and everything like that. I know that you've been physically injured on the job and and uh, pretty seriously actually. Yeah. Uh, and we we can get to that, but uh, so you're you're now on tour with Pink and you're learning everything. How long until it was not terrifying? Um every day is terrifying. Like I I I just took like a, a five-year break. I had a little girl and I, I took some time off the road to be with her um, and, you know, solidify um, our family dynamic and my relationship with her. I wanted to be there with her and be her dad. I want her to know who I am and everything like that. And now that she's five and a half going on six, I'm, I'm comfortable being able to interact with her on FaceTime and, you know, hey, we're going to do some schoolwork now and I can do this on FaceTime. I didn't want to do the beginning years via FaceTime when she's just a loaf of bread sitting there staring, drooling back at me. I just, uh, it broke my heart trying to do that. So, um, uh, you know, I did take a little time off and coming back to the road again, uh, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I was absolutely petrified. Uh, I remember showing up. I mean, I, I'm on a 10 day break right now. We just finished, I think a four and a half, five week run so far. Who's with? who are you with? I'm out with Stained at the moment. Uh, Stained okay. and Godsmack are on tour together. I'm working for Stained, doing drums and playback. And I was petrified. I was honestly leading up to it. The, my anxiety was through the roof. Um, nerves at an all-time high. And I just had to keep reminding myself that uh, I'm going to be okay. This is going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. You know, this is like, you got this. And man, I was... That first show, I was shitting myself. Oh yeah, and, and you 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 read every every word of the training manual for this, didn't you? Oh yeah, so I had to learn new software. Um, so like I I literally had to like start from scratch. Like all right, cool, I'm learning an entirely new playback program that I've never touched before. So the nerves were high on making that happen because they you know synced together all of our video and lighting and everything like that. And so like it has to work, and if it doesn't work. I have to be able to fix it. And so, you know, I had to dive in and learn a whole new program. Uh, thankfully, I've worked with this drummer before, and he and I have a really good rapport. Um, he is also a past drum tech uh, turned drummer, which is uh, incredible. He's got an incredible story himself, but he's a, the nicest guy. And, and um, I was actually his artist relations manager when I was at Mapex. Um, so, you know, we, we had a really good connection, and it was it's nice to get back to work with him. Um, but yeah, no, my nerves and anxiety were through the roof leading up to that first show. Um, and and I, I probably every show I have nerves and anxiety at every show. It's never, uh, oh yeah, this is going to be like, no, they're, they're always there. But I think that's a good thing. I think for me, um, it's just like, hey, I start thinking about all the things that can go wrong. And like, oh, okay, you know, you know, I've had the cymbal fall off and I've had the, this break and that's broken before. And okay, where's my, and I start going through all my checklist of everything that could possibly go wrong. And what is my backup plan for that situation? And so I feel like I'm always prepared for an incident. And if something does happen, I'm able to mitigate it as quickly as possible. So the show keeps moving and keep that artist focused on what he needs to do. 
So there's an old trope about the rock and roll lifestyle and everything like that. And it's been really hyped up by television and in the early days and stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff was very real. Can you talk a little bit about how you have seen people be very successful and people not be very successful based upon their habits, their ideas, their the way they conduct themselves on the road, the things that are preferable, the things that are not preferable? What what are those characteristics? What's it really like on a professional rock band tour? Um, well, I'll, I'll be honest. You know, like you know, everyone's like, "Oh, backstage party, blah blah." This is what backstage looks like. <laughs> That's literally it. It's just it's it's not a wild and crazy and out of control. You know, it's. Just people yeah, for, on the road. For, for those for those who are listening and not watching, he was just on his phone typing. So it's a bunch of people on on their phones typing backstage, pretty much. But um, you know the 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 work days are very long. Uh, the work conditions are often not very favorable. Um, you know, we started this tour in the south. It's an outdoor tour, and every day has been ninety percent humidity at ninety six, ninety eight degrees, and you know, you're drinking water as quickly as you can, and it's coming right out of you just as fast. Um, so, you know, it, it's really, really hot days. It's, you know, hey, that's snowing outside. It's minus 46, and we got to go pack a semi-truck. It's long flights uh, straight into, you know, three in a row of, you know, three really hard days with very little sleep. Um, you know, it, it's, um it's it's hard it's demanding it's it's a very high level of execution that's required from everybody um and then uh it's about being able to live with the rest of the crew um and coexist with everybody else despite uh upbringings background religious beliefs spiritual beliefs political beliefs um you know we're 12 people on a bus and we sleep right next to each other in our bunks and we wake up in the morning and you're still on that bus and then you get out and there's the stage, go and load a truck and set the show up because we're going to do this. So, you know, people look at the one hour performance and the professionalism necessary to execute that one hour performance. But in reality, it's the other 23 hours that determine whether or not you are hireable, right? They will take somebody who can get along better with everybody else who might not be as good as their job but they can coexist over somebody who's really good, but they're a dickhead. Well, sure, sure. And and I w- I've been really impressed the handful of times that I've come to visit you at one of your shows. I saw Corn uh, a couple of times and Shine Down, um, perhaps a few other ones, but the artists themselves, what gentlemen, what professional people they are. And the backstage scene was very much of... Uh, it was it was professional. People were kind, super humble, all of them. And it was it was really it was really neat to see the actual backstage thing because it is it is a workplace and it's mm-hmm. a high performance workplace. And you specifically were selected as somebody who is a perfect fit for this sort of thing. And this this pink gig it ended up getting you referrals to go to all of these other artists and do a version of the same thing behind the biggest names in the world. And so you do a great job uh, with with pink. 
and then your name starts getting shared as somebody in the industry that is the 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 to go per the go to person. It's it's a very small world. It's very everybody knows everybody, and it's a very small world. And um, you know, people want somebody who's reliable and dependable. And your name starts getting shared around. Hey, I'm looking for somebody. Ah, I know Mark just got off a tour, or hey, this person's looking for work, or whatever the case may be. Um, it's it's a small world, and and we all kind of look after each other and help each other out and refer people. Like um, I got really good, for instance, on this Godsmack Stain tour. Um, for whatever reason, the guitar tech quit 45 minutes before the show for Godsmack. And we had to do a big scramble and, and their bass tech covered guitars. Our guitar tech covered their bass. And um, a good friend of mine, the guitar, uh, former guitar tech of Shinedown, um, was going to come see me two shows down the road uh, and just hang out. And I was talking with their drum tech. And I was like, hey, yeah, you know, Sparky's going to come visit on this day. And he goes, oh, man, I haven't seen him in a while. I'm looking forward to it. I'm like, what? And he goes, he points over to the guitar tech. He's like, we still don't have anybody. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, Sparky. And I was like, oh, my God, I never even thought about it. Hey, you looking for work right now? Like, because we need a guy. And so we passed through town and we picked him up. And now he's out on the road with Godsmack. And so we get to work together again, which is great. But it's literally, you know, that's, you know, it could be a reference from anybody in the tour that gets somebody a job. So. I, I I love this because of how much th that I've known you. You you grew up in San Jose solidly working class you yep. you graduate from high school and your your next vocation is to find a job any job that's that's what the mindset was on your street you get you get out of high school you go to work yeah and it was so, it was funny college was never um i always had a really hard time with college i felt like i didn't know where or what or like i i didn't know tomorrow and I had a really hard time going, all right, I'm going to go to college to do this. Some people know exactly what they want to do. I was not that kid. I didn't know where I wanted to go. My grades were terrible. Um, but I excelled in music. I, was, I loved music. I loved um, what it does to people. Um, and I just kind of just bounced around aimlessly like the guitar center thing was just supposed to be a few month job and turned into one thing into another thing and I was around music I was around musicians and I was passionate about what I was doing and it has just kind of snowballed and somehow I created a career for myself I, I it was never my intention to go down this pathway but I didn't know where I wanted to go and I you know my dad was in construction you know he just retired from the carpentry union um, my mom has bounced around doing all sorts of different things, primarily sales, um, working in the computer industry, um, doing like computer chips and stuff like that. So uh, my grandfather, uh, after he got out of the Navy, um, started, you know, working at a lumber yard at a very young age and uh, grew that lumber yard. And, you know, my uncles worked there. I worked there. Um, you know, I am forklift certified. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I went out on the job sites and worked with my dad in construction. My uncles, you know, did drywall and we came, you know, it was a, it was a blue collar family. We worked our asses off and, yeah. and we didn't have a whole lot, but we were thankful for what we had. And my parents worked really hard to give us as many opportunities as possible. Um, despite, you know, 
being in you know the the middle class of not having you know money to go do everything like marching vanguard was a huge sacrifice just from the financial aspect alone uh in order for me to even just pay my member fees you know i first you have to have the talent then you have to have the money and my family worked really hard to make sure that opportunity was there but college was never um a pathway that i saw myself going down because i just had no clue well you you made such a beautiful life for yourself here because so you do what's expected of of what was around you you go to work and when this opportunity came knocking at your door with pink that was way out of your comfort zone that was not a corporate career that was not something you didn't know how dental worked you didn't know how a 401k factored into this thing you had a job with a company that people knew and then there's this thing that didn't have any familiarity with your life that was this door that would open up and create this unbelievable opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for you. And that moment for you was really, really hard. And I suspect, and you can talk about this, that the doors after that got a little bit easier because when you walked through that door and realized what's on the other side of a huge opportunity, you were less intimidated by doors in front of you. It, so um, getting into some deep personal stuff now. Um, You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was married before and I moved to LA with, um, with my wife at the time. And she was going, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. She was in fashion school. She wanted to be a fashion designer. And so I was there supporting the two of us at Guitar Center. And then this opportunity came along and it was a big risk um, because there isn't insurance. There isn't a 401k. There isn't a guarantee that anything is ever going to happen. Um, you know, hey, the artist could slip and break her leg and tour is canceled and everybody goes home. There is no work. So um, I was petrified to make that decision. But once I got out there and started doing it, it was the first time where I truly felt like this is where I'm supposed to be. Like this, this is this is it. The people who are in high school who are like, I want to be a zoologist. This is what I wanted. I finally had that feeling of like, this is where I belong. And uh, it kind of got to a point in our relationship where it's like, well, I don't want you to do this anymore. And I'm like, I, but this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I found it. I finally found it. I finally feel like I'm where I'm, where I belong. This is like my purpose in life. It's kind of shallow, but like, here's my direction. And, you know, it it ended up leading to us, you know, getting a divorce and going our separate ways. Um, that, you know, and that was a very difficult time because it was right onto the next band and right onto the next tour and right onto the next tour. And so, you know, you don't have the opportunity to deal with your personal issues while you're out there. And so it, you know, it was, it was tough. Um, but you know, it it was, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm really, really good at. And, um, I'm nomad, you know, I more than comfortable living out of a suitcase, out of a tour bus. I've been doing it since, you know, high school marching band shows. And then in drum corps, it just kind of led into the next thing, into the next thing. And it's waking up in a different city every single day. And, 
walking around and, and experiencing life in Europe or South Africa or Australia and really getting an opportunity to see the world and, you know, experience all of these different cultures everywhere. Um, and it was a really tough decision to make at the time. Uh, very difficult emotionally, mentally. Um, but I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. You know? I, I remember your, your, your first wife, um, really, really sweet young lady. And, um, it, 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 cause she was your high school sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, and so you kind of walk out of high school and you get into the life that was there for you after high school, the, the high school sweetheart, the, the, the job that you got into where you were starting to be successful and starting to climb. And then this other thing comes knocking that really speaks to your soul. And then you had more than one tie to break from the life that you had before. And there were many things like this that were really gut-wrenching for you. I remember you going through that and it was a real time where you were questioning, I don't know really what to do here. I don't know yeah. if I'm making the right decision. I don't know if I should give up on what I'm doing out on the road here and go get a job that I can stay in one place. It was a huge, huge doorway for you to walk through. Yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, but I'm thankful, you know, again, doors and windows, man. One closes, sure. another one opens. And I really feel like uh, I'm very spiritual and I have my belief system set up and I know that I have some guardian angels around me and people who are help guiding me and bump me and keep me going in the right path and help me make the right decisions. And I feel like I am today exactly where I'm supposed to be, where my feet are right now is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel very confident in that um, through all of my life's decisions. Some of them were crazy. Some of them, you know, some of them I look back and go, what the hell was I thinking? But they've all put me to where I am right now. And I'm, I'm very thankful and happy and satisfied with where my life is today. Well, so, so let's talk about that spiritual piece because that it's such an inextricable part of a meaningful life. And I know that, that for you with all of the kind of dramatic turns and so forth that you've taken in your career and you've gone from like this band and this situation working for this company and then working for this band and you know through a, a number of high highs and low lows what is your kind of spiritual foundation and how you stay resilient and moving forward in your life what carries you um you know it, it that's a, a uh, this would be a long discussion because I, even today with with the way things are in the world I I I'm still questioning even my own belief system sometimes um, I I I'm at the point now where I don't even know what's real anymore um, but I do know for myself like I do believe in past lives um, I I definitely think that um, I've actually worked with a, a a psychic and medium that um, looked into one of my past lives and they identified that I was in the civil war as a drummer, as a snare drummer, which was why the first time I saw a drum line, my heart exploded. 
um, and not drumline the movie, but a physical drumline, and, right. and why I was so passionate about drums um, was because of of my past life experiences, and I was actually killed on the battlefield playing the drum. Um, so, you know, I do believe that a lot of those past life experiences exist and help, you know, why you make decisions and end up where you are. But I do believe that I do have some guardian angels, whether it's, um, you know, the guardian angel that was assigned to me when I was born and or whether it's like my great grandmother. I know my great grandmother watches over me. Um, she's been identified by many people over the years um, who have never met her. You barely know me. You know, they always talk about her. And I, I know that my great grandmother is always with me, watching over me. My grandfather passed a few years ago and I feel and see him all the time. Um, I, uh, I kind of, this is the part where I start to question things. Like I do believe that everything is alive. And I, I really do think like, you know, the Native Americans, when it comes to spirituality, were definitely correct. And this, this other version um, of, of religion, I, I've always questioned. I was never forced to go to church. Um, and I had my, my hesitations about it. I have become more accepting of it now. Um, I have a problem with organized religions, and I feel like there's always a scam being played um there's always like no matter how perfect everything seems somebody's doing something bad whether it's you know i'm going to get extreme and this isn't the case for every place and i know this but you know hey are you molesting kids are you embezzling money are you like if this is about spirituality you know then let it be about spirituality but there's so much bad and evil happening around it that it makes it really difficult so i have my own personal relationships i don't need to go to a church um you know my family we do uh say grace and we do bless our food and bless our life and bless each other and our friends and our neighbors um but i don't need to go every sunday to be part of something organized to solidify it because it's between me and the energies around me. I believe more in like energy as opposed to uh. Like I mm -hmm. believe that we we are God. I believe that we can create the realities around us and you can and make the change. And you know, I, I heard something interesting the other day and, and we kind of briefly talked about it, but like the discussion of is the world flat or is the world round? It's whatever you want it to be. And you can prove either, right? Is uh this president or this president good or bad well however you look at it you're going to create that reality is this a good job or a bad job however you perceive it is what you're going to create so much like with religion it's up to you you know you you have the power and the energy within you to create the environment around you and i do believe and know that the trees are alive and grass is alive and that you have a, um, a relationship spiritually or even just energy um, with everything around you. Um, I know that like when I was on tour with Pink, we did a lot of arenas and we were inside and it was winter. It was like a perpetual winter tour. You know, and when, it, when it started to get warm in the Northern Hemisphere, we jumped to the Southern Hemisphere and 
started touring arenas there. And when you're doing arena work, you're inside 18, 20 hours a day. And you don't get a lot of outside. And I felt the impact like on my soul, my body, my energy, just because I wasn't touching grass or ground. Everything was concrete. And I'm inside and I wasn't getting sunlight. And I was feeling the, the effects of not being connected to nature. Um, so I know it's a very real thing because, you know, like we just got done doing this outside tour and it's so nice. Um, we were at this venue in Detroit uh, called Pine, Pine Creek or Pine Knob um, Outdoor Amphitheater. And I went walking through like the public area before it was open to doors. And it's this beautiful venue cutting through the trees on the side of a mountain. And it's just, it was just so nice being out there and so re-energizing, revitalizing to be part of it. Like it is alive. It's all, we are all the same energy. We all give and take from each other. Um, we all give and take from each other uh, personally and with, with nature, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, we are, we are all one. That it's that's really beautiful. I also recall that you do have Native American heritage. Uh, yes. In fact, uh, we just uh, we just one of my great aunts just passed away, and uh, in going through all of their stuff, uh, we are actually on the Cherokee scrolls, and we're in the middle. Our family is going back and uh, getting registered and getting um, all of the information. Uh, necessary, but I have Cherokee and Apache, uh, but I'm also Spanish and um, all the different versions of white. <laughs> but yeah, very, very interesting. And thank you for sharing all of that. And you know, so the way the way that you speak about it with such eloquence, it's it's not only inspiring, but it's very present for you in the moment as you go about your work. You feel more connected when you're in these open arenas, and so these beliefs, they have informed your decision-making on what you should and should not do, uh, decisions that you have made, and you probably, I'm assuming now, have come to a point where your foundational values are very well known to you, and that decisions for your future, not only do you have a solid guide for how it is that you make decisions about your career and your life and these sorts of things, but that you're much more in tune with what those values are than say when you were 25 and you're going, Oh my gosh, like, I don't, I don't know how to break through this big door here. I don't, I don't know if I have the courage to do it. So where are you now with how your, your spirit informs your decision-making and how you go, how you handle stress. Like, Oh my gosh, I had a job yesterday. I don't have a job today. What am I going to do? How, how does that all fit together for you? My, it's so, so uh, my wife um, uh, is very spiritual as well. She leads meditation. She has a, a wonderful program, the Mind, Body, Spirit Reset. Um, and, and it's very, you know, based in meditation and um, manifestation and, you know, looking in and finding your, you know, the trauma, whether it's childhood trauma or whatever it is. And, and dealing with it and growing from it and getting past those blocks, whether it's a financial block or a love life block or whatever it is, addressing all those things to move forward. Um, one of the mantras that I live in is 
everything's going to be okay. Like it, it's all going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Like we'll be okay. I know that we're going to be okay. And I believe that we are going to be okay. So when one door closes, it, it's right there. It's might feel a little stressful right now, but we're going to be okay. And it's something that I constantly, you know, I'll, I'll tell her, it's like, you know, Hey, I know money's tight right now, but it's going to be okay. Or I know, you know, this situation is what it is, but it's going to be okay. Um, so, you know, as far as like what helps inform my decision-making with the belief, a everything's going to be okay. I'm right where I'm supposed to be right here and now. And I believe that. And I have like a zero tolerance for negativity, stupidity, any sort of thing like that. I just, you know, I'm in the situation and this, this isn't right. I'm not going to sacrifice me mentally, physically to be in this negative environment. Despite the financial advantage of being in this environment, I'm more than happy to walk away with nothing to figure it out. And, I, and somehow I've always landed on my feet. Don't ask me how, but I've, I've really, I've made some crazy decisions in my life and walked away from a lot of money and stable careers um, because it wasn't right. And I've always ended up, like I said, like today, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be today. And I know I am. And I've made some hard decisions to be here but everything is working out and everything's going to be fine. So through your career, and I don't know what it's like right now, but certainly early on in your career, and none of us are immune from this. What are the voices in your head that tell you negative things and how do you handle that? Um, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> I've, I've had a, I've had a lot of struggles. Um, you know, my my father was never there in my life. Um, the last time I remember him being around, I was probably five or six, maybe. And I didn't meet him again until, uh, God, 2001. And I uh, took a year off a of drum corps to go out and live with him and reconnect with him and that entire side of the family that I knew nothing about. Um, and as a parent, The, the damage that was caused by not having uh, a father in my life um, was substantial. And that's why for me, it was so, and I didn't realize what I was going through when I was going through it. Um, but I had to stop touring to be with my daughter. And I have strived to be a good husband to my wife and a good parent to our child um, because I've watched my mom, you know, she's on her third marriage right now and he's a wonderful, wonderful dad. He, you know, he took me as his own. Um, and that was living with the, you're not good enough. You don't deserve anything. That's why you don't have a dad. It was always really tough. Uh, looking at all my friends' families that had these, you know, um, mother-father institutions that were really solid and looking at mine of going like, you know, my first stepdad used to abuse 
the living shit out of me and my little brother was really tough. Um, and feeling like you don't deserve anything. You're not good enough. Um, was, was always really, really difficult. And then coming from, you know, being a blue collar family and having to work really hard for everything and not having the newest things or, you know, clothes, video games, bicycles, whatever it was, you know, like we had things, my parents worked their ass off for them. But I looked at everybody else. It's like, oh, I got a brand new car when I turned 16. It's like, I got a 1961 Datsun. <laughs> but I fuck, I loved the shit out of it. I was very thankful for that vehicle. Um, but I always had this, you don't deserve it. Um, you're not good enough. And I'm trying to create a better environment and change uh, my, my family name's trajectory. Um, it doesn't, like today, Bennett is going to be elevated. My family lineage will be elevated here at my generation. I'm going to make the change for my daughter and I'm gonna create an environment where she can thrive and grow and be successful and have the confidence that I didn't have when I was younger. To not be afraid, to not have those scars and pains of, of watching your mom, your brother or yourself be abused, whether it's mentally or physically, like she will be loved, she will be supported and I'm doing everything that I can to, to position ourselves for success, and for my grandkids, my great grandkids, like I want, I'm pushing to change the narrative and the lineage of my family's history. Those voices that are from so long ago, particularly with regard to father wound and the stepfather who was abusive to you and everything, do those things still come up in, in stressful moments for you? Um, they show up in really weird moments. Uh, you know, my wife knows everything and, you know, we'll be watching a movie and something will happen in the movie that brings it right back. And it's like, I felt like I've dealt with it. I've addressed it and I've moved on from it, but it's still there. It keeps coming up. She'll look at me and I'll have tears in my eyes and she knows, she understands why they're there. And it's, it's, I'm to a point now where it's like, okay, yes, this is happening right now. I'm experiencing this right now. I remember the hurt, but I'm not hurt. Uh, and I just let it pass through and, and let it go because that's not who I am today. That's what made me who I am today, but I am not that hurt little boy anymore. And, but that took, that took years of, of dealing with, I mean, I went through, I went through a lot, um, not realizing what the root cause of all of it was and never really fully addressing it. Um, but I mean, uh, whether it was substance abuse or, I mean, yeah, there was, I've even attempted suicide in my younger days and spent some time in a mental hospital um, over it and had to go through therapy and you know it, it was it was not an, an easy road 
Uh, and it took me a long time to overcome and to manage and deal with all of it. Um, and those are all things that have, I sit back now and look at things completely differently, having those experiences. And I see these younger, I see younger kids who are either dealing with the same sort of trauma and I try to lend some experience or some guidance, or I see people who have got substance abuse problems and like, Hey, trust me, I, I, I have that same t-shirt, you know, I've been through it. I've, I've done it. Um, let me help you try to make some better decisions or at least give you some, uh, an opportunity to make a change in your life. So you don't go through the things that I went through. Um, but it, it took, it took a lot, it took a lot to deal with it all to actually sit down and look inward and, and let go of a lot of pain and a lot of trauma. Um, even while I was being successful, even while I was out on these massive tours and, you know, living this incredible life, I was still dealing with a lot of trauma. And then you throw a divorce in the middle of all of that. And it took a lot to keep my professionalism at a certain standard while emotionally I was falling apart. Um, it's, uh, it's not been an easy journey. But um, it has been a journey, you know. You know what you're talking about is that the uh, the bruises and the bones end up healing after time, but the emotional wounds leave memories that last a lifetime. And it can be a movie. It can be watching a child be yelled at, or something like that. That can really bring back stuff from from long ago. And so I imagine that you're 25 years old, you're facing this big doorway, you pass through it. Now you've got this huge set of responsibilities, an arena full of people staring back at you. And the imposter syndrome must have been just absolutely overwhelming. You know what? I, I don't feel that I ever, I was so arrogant and cocky that I never <laughs> felt that. I'm gonna be completely honest. Uh, I'm not saying it's a good thing by any means, but I was, I was really confident and arrogant at what I was doing. Um, whether I was actually good at what I was doing or I was convincing myself. Cause a lot of it is, you know, you create the reality you want. I am the fucking best at what I do. I am the best. Now I do know there's better out there 100%, but I try to be the best every single day when I show up and I, and I believe that I am one of the best out there. Um, and I never felt the imposter syndrome until much later. And especially trying to come back to it. Like, am I even good enough? Like I, I, I stopped touring for a short while. I was working for, um, a big tech company out of Palo Alto and I wasn't in the right place. I was faking it all the way through. Um, I had a great career there. I was making incredible money there. I just, I was faking it. And I wasn't, I was, I'm with these people who are, you know, some of the world's best programmers, programming, doing stuff for the military and high government, you know, agencies and law enforcement and bank corporations. And like, here I am, like, I have no idea how, why I'm here right now. Uh, now I do. Now I understand what that was for. But I mean, I had some serious imposter syndromes there when I would show up to work. Uh, and then I, I had to, to step out of that environment and I went back out on tour again. Um, you know, um, 
even when I when I started working at uh, KHS America, working for Mapex and Sonar Drums, stepping in into a marketing department, I terrified. Why? What am I doing here? Like what? You know, I'm looking at all these people in suits and you know dress clothes and stuff like that, and I wear shorts and t-shirts every day. You know, and I I remember like not having a lot of money and going to my wife going like i need to buy some dress shoes like because i'm moving to this corporate thing and i'm making this move for our family because i got a little loaf of bread now that you know needs me here every day um so we spent the last little bit of money so i'd have some shoes so i could blend in and be one of us google gobble google gobble you know and and try to fit in in, in that environment only to realize that um I had what it took to be there and be successful in it. Um, but it, it took me a while to build that confidence in myself in that place to feel comfortable and successful and, and lose that imposter syndrome. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 um, I, I do feel, feel confident and, I, and it, it's only those, those times when I'm not on the stage in corporate settings where am I actually supposed to be doing this right now? Am I work like I, you know, I talked myself into this position. Now I have to do it. What am I doing? <laughs> Those times I felt like an imposter on the stage with these artists and stuff like that. I, I'm in my skin. I'm where I'm supposed to be. What are some of the high points that you recall working with these various different bands? The, the things that were the most meaningful, the things that, maybe some specific instances that happened that really made you in awe of what it was that you were doing with your life. Music to me is the universal language. And I, and I have seen that time and time and time again, um, whether I was in Russia, South Africa, um, Japan, um, I've been to some absolutely incredible places and Despite language barriers, um, financial gaps, whatever it is, music has been the one thing that I have seen over and over and over again that can unite society. And one of the reasons I continue to do this is I really truly believe in the importance of that and the importance of the music, whether it's for healing whether it's, you know, somebody else has that same scar and this song is the thing that helps them. Um, you know, Shinedown did an incredible album, Attention, Attention, where they addressed um, uh, mental, mental health. And it's, it's a beautiful album from beginning to end. It's one consecutive story. Every song is part of this one story. And they address stuff like that. And I've seen people in the front row completely break down and lose it. Um, because of their struggles that they're going through but it's very therapeutic and um, I remember sometimes uh, with Pink um, she she had a particular song um, that that really helped unite and make people think and uh, and look at political situations and like hey it's not a red versus blue it's like we are all humans here like let's have a real sit down talk as humans right? Like if this was your kid, would you be sending them to war? You're okay sending my kid to war, but would you send your kid to war? Let's sit down, 
person to person, not president, citizen, not, you know, Russian versus of America. Uh, like, let's, let's be people. And there's so like countless times where I've seen music be, music unite, music help um, be therapeutic. Um, I, I truly believe in, in, you know, that and, and try to, like, that's why I said, I try to make sure that the performer is able to give 110%, right? Because it, it, it matters. It matters more than just the money and the two hour drive and the, you know, three month wait since they bought the tickets and, and all of that stuff. It matters on, on a mental and physical and spiritual level as well, you know, cause it, it is that important. I remember being on tour, being um, addressed or approached in shopping malls. It's like, Hey, we have a day off and, Cincinnati today like all right there's a shopping mall across the street because we're actually in a suburb of Cincinnati and so it's like well let's kill six hours walking up and down the mall and then there'll be military recruiters in there who come up and you know hey join the military blah 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 it's like you know the, the line was oh you get to see the world and I'm like I, I have so much love and respect and appreciation for our military or for our veterans I come from a long live long line of of uh military, Marines, Army, Navy, my grandfather, my father, um, aunts and uncles, my, my grandmother, like so many people in my family have served. I was like, I kind of stopped at me. Um, but they always use the line, you get to travel the world, see everything. And I'm like, I, I do get to travel the world, but the difference is, is I'm, I'm uniting and, and bonding with these people through music as opposed to oppressing and, and defending or protecting with bullets. And I, I just, you know, I felt like my mission was more important on the music side of things um, to, to help unite and fix and, and. Yeah. You're a bringer. You're a bringer of peace. You support messages of hope and peace and celebration and unity with what you do and how you support these musicians who are bringing this. And I think it's really incredible. I'm just trying to visualize it in my head from the vantage point of the stage. You can really see those people out there. You can really see their reactions. You can see what they're doing. You can see their, their emotional uh, displays and everything like that. That's something that's very easily visible from up there. Uh, you get to see like the first five rows or so, then you, you lose it in the lights. Um, you know, whether you're playing a theater or a stadium, it's only those first handful of rows that you get to see, but yeah, you see it, you see it there. You'll see the signs people bring to concerts and, and hold up, um, the people that you meet after the show, the people you meet on a day off at the restaurant. Um, you know, it's really funny. Just uh, a couple of days ago, I was in Pittsburgh and, uh, we went to go see the Mr. Rogers statue, which is right next to Heinz field, right on the river. We went to the museum first and we went to go see the statue and uh, I saw a lady walk by and she's wearing a pink t-shirt. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's so, so cool to see. And uh, so I just said, Hey, I, you know, I love your shirt. And uh, she turns around and she goes, Oh, thanks so much. We're so excited to see her. You know, we traveled from blah, 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 blah. And we can't wait to see her. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, Oh, they're playing tomorrow right here at the baseball stadium. And I was right next to the stadium. And so um, you know, I ended up walking over and, and connecting with uh, some of the crew guys that I've toured with, with Pink and other bands um, and ended up, you know, catching up with the guitar player and stuff like that. But 
you, you never know when you're going to run into somebody, a fan somewhere, and um, everyone has a different story of that, their connection to the music. Um, and, you know, whether it's their favorite band, the first time seeing it, their 100th concert, their, you know, this was my dad's favorite song and he died this year and I miss him. Wh whatever it is, like you hear and get to, to witness all of these stories every day on the road. So through this career, you've had relationships with different bands, different artists, different tours and these sorts of things. Doors open, doors close. And right now you're starting to build your own business. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about specifically you walked away from one thing into being self-employed and setting up your own company? Was it scary? Is it scary? Where are you at with all of this? Well, um, it was kind of happened on accident. Um, it goes back to when I was touring with Shinedown. Um, I do these um you know custom drum heads you know we'd figure something out and uh we really want a pearl actually it started with pink i actually have the the drum head where it all started uh gretch gretch would have their logo and it was just like a big clear sticker with the word gretch on it and when you stick it on a drum head it looked terrible um and then it's like okay well how can i do this better because i hate the way it looks right and so I started talking to a friend who owns a, um, a sign shop and they cut vinyl. And so they would just make me the Gretsch logo, but out of vinyl. So it was just the letters. And then that evolved into, all right, can we color match this logo to match the artwork? And that's how it all started. So I have like, you know, a Shinedown drum head where it was a red sparkle pearl logo, not the standard white logo. And we just kind of evolved. And so it started with that. And then, um, you know, when I was working with Barry from Shinedown, it's like, oh, let's do a different color kit for this one. Let's change this. Let's change that. And we would, you know, take a drum set back to Pearl and have him recover it. Well, we got to a point where it's like he wanted to do an all white drum set. And uh, actually, before we got to the all white, we, we wanted to do something different. So I was like, hey, guys, can we do this? They said, no. I'm like, uh, but you can. But okay fine how about this you have this right here can we do this over here they're like no no no. we don't have the bandwidth we're doing so many things right now no i'm like well dude this really sucks and then it was like all right well if you guys have powder coating in-house can we powder coat the kit and they're like no 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 no. we're not we only powder coat such and such pro product and we only do black but i'm like but you can you won't so then i was like you know what i'm gonna do I'll figure out how to do it. And so we decided to go with this all white drum set. It was white and like a nickel sparkle. And so I literally broke down every nut and bolt and whatever. And there's a powder coat company out of San Jose, California, RC Refinishing, um, that I've worked with who are like on the cutting edge of all of that sort of stuff. And I was like, hey, look, this is what I want to do, blah, 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 blah. And they knocked it out. And it's like, all right, cool. Now let me do, let me customize this thing, this thing. And I'll make one of these and I'll cut whatever and turn into this whole thing. And it's like, look, it's doable. You just, they're not going to do it. So I should do it. And then when I became the, when I started working from Apex and Sonar, I was a U.S. artist relations manager. 
you know, these tours, these artistic people and or the artists themselves who hire the band, you know, these aren't band members like Guns N' Roses where it's, you know, Slash and Duff and Axel. No, it's, there's a pop star who has hired a band and I want everything to look like this. And so they come back to the artist relations manager going, hey, I need this. Like I have to have it, otherwise I'm getting fired. And the company goes, sorry, we don't do that. And I got so sick and tired of, of that response as a drum tech of going, going, hey, all right, well, here's your three options, black, white, or blue. You know, we want pink. Sorry, we don't do pink. We have black, white, or blue. That- and is, is this a function of giant corporations being too large to do custom jobs and that sort of thing? Um, I can't speak for every company. Okay. Um, sometimes it's just, you know, hey, the production is overseas and or the lead time is 12 months or we don't have the bandwidth or, I mean, there's so many variables. Um, so I started finding workarounds and I was like, all right, I'll tell you what, I'm taking off my corporate hat right now and putting on the dude who lives over here in Spring Hill, Tennessee, I can do it for you. And so I started doing stuff for the artists. I want pink hardware. All right, cool. I'll, as your artist relations manager, here's the gear that you need and then switch hats. All right, I'm going to pick up this gear and take it and then execute this for you. You have to pay everybody, but I'll make it happen. And one thing led to another thing, led to another thing. I'm doing stuff for um, John Legend. I'm doing stuff for uh, Wiz Khalifa. I'm doing stuff for Chris Jansen. Um, and you know, powder coating stuff and uh, doing custom drum heads that match the pattern on the drums. Or, you know, I just recently did, um, while I was there, Cirque du Soleil has a new show out in New York, New York called Mad Apple. And they wanted a hot pink drum line and a hot pink drum set to match it. So I found a way to make everything hot pink. And they wanted words on every single drum of the main drum set. So I figured out how to make that happen for them. And was able to deliver a product that the company wasn't able to execute due to their bandwidth restrictions and abilities to do something in a very short period of time. And I was like, you know what? I should just do this. Like, I, I'm just going to do this. And I, so I started my company, Backbeat Chop Shop. And um, that's what I'm doing now. So everything from custom drum heads to powder coating drums to, um, you know, if you electronic programming like anything music based um like i just finished um uh working with beyonce's uh production and i made beyonce's drum set all chrome because everything on her stage right now is chrome and the drum company didn't offer chrome and we had a very short time window to execute this i literally had 36 hours from the second i had the drums in my hand to when i had to ship them and so we turned her entire drum set chrome and got it overnighted out to france for rehearsals so wow uh, yeah it's it's um it's was terrifying to to get everything set up and and to actually walk away from the job i was doing at the time um i was working for an av company and uh i was like you know what i'm gonna bet on myself i was sick to my stomach um petrified i'm still shitting myself every day but um i've been able to like even while i'm away on tour still make custom drum heads for people and execute stuff in the background. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun, but it's absolutely terrifying. 
but I love working for myself. I love being my boss. I love waking up and doing what I want to do and, uh, and accomplishing the things that people say they can't do. You know, I love seeing, go ahead. I love seeing the, the artist when like they get it, like this is exactly what I wanted. In fact, like, uh, this drum key right here was one of the first really cool things I did. I had an artist, um, who got a sneaker. He had a custom high top. And I was like, man, I got a really cool idea. I got these drum sets that nobody wants particular color. Why don't we make a matching drum kit to your shoe? And we'll do a, even a matching drum key with it. So we did this whole campaign. And I remember when the artist showed up, he was like, wow, like this is way more than I could ever conceptualize. Um, and, and again, like with, with this one, we did a, you know, for every custom drum kit, I do a custom drum key to match it. So I save all the different drum keys. Um, but you know, oh, it's so awesome to, to see somebody who is just like, they like, yes, this right here. And then they take it up on stage and they play with a different level of execution because of what they're sitting behind makes them feel a certain way. Your trajectory in life where you have gone, you have taken so many things and just put them at the next level. It was many years ago that I was speaking with you and you were talking about making drum sets that were literal pieces of art that people yeah. would pay $60,000 to have in their living room and not even play them because somebody would say, I want a, I don't know, a, a drum set that looks like a dragon or, or something like this. And it's yours to kind of figure out how to do that. And it's, it's, it's relatively something that you've done a lot of with these big name artists. And when I've, when I've come and visited you, the drum set is on a riser. It has fasteners and things on it that I, as a lifelong drummer, have never seen. And I go, what is this? Where do you get this? And you say, I made this. I did this. I invented this. This whole thing is me. So you take things and you just launch them and you make them happen and you've been so tremendously successful endeavor after endeavor after endeavor what is it for what you what you've seen in from 25 to now 45 that you have taken things and gone i think i'm going to try this and then you launch it and you go with it and it becomes successful what is that key of energy, of expertise, of excellence that you put into things that consistently spells overall success in these things? I think I get so sick and tired of the word no. We can't do something. I, I'm going to go back to, again, drum corps and marching again. And, you know, we can't do this move you're going to do this move. You're going to run across this field carrying these 50 pounds worth of drums and you will get to your spot. You just haven't figured out how to do it yet, but you will. You're going to do it come hell or high water because this is what's required. And I hate when people just say no. I feel like that's the easy way out. Like, yes, you can do anything if you have the time, energy, resources, the want to. You can do anything. And I got so sick and tired of, of like, hey, let's try this. No, but why not? But why? 
there's like you just don't want to like you can do this you can come up with things you can create product x to do this you just don't want to um or you don't want to put the time and effort in or does it meet your marketing initiatives or your like whatever it is i'm like you know what i don't need you to do it i can do it like i want to machine something hey look there's a machine shop hey can you make this for me awesome here you go hey i want to powder coat something well how do you do that well there's a powder coat company over here let me figure it out and then okay well what tools do you use so now i can do it myself you know there's so much information available to the world right here on your phone on your computer you can learn to do anything you can accomplish anything you just got to fucking try you just have to want to do it and i got so sick and tired of no's and like you know what i'm just gonna do it myself i'll figure it out i don't know how i'm gonna do it but i'm gonna figure it out and or i'm gonna find the person who knows everything about this and i'm gonna work with them to make the thing that i need to do x whether it's piece you know write software make me a website uh, create a piece of hardware, whatever it is, like somebody out there can do it. I'm not going to just sit here and say, oh, yeah, that's a cool idea, but no, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm going to figure out how to do it. And I've, I've always, I mean, from the beginning, like go set up a drum set. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out, <laughs> you know, and away we go from there. So it's, it's I just, I, I feel like it's such a cop out in life. It's the easy way out to just go, yeah, no, we're not going to do it. No, no. You know, it's like, yeah, hey, well, you can, you just don't want to. And I understand, you know, a lot of the times the don't want to's because you've got so much things going on over here that you literally just don't have the bandwidth to do it, but it's doable. You just don't want to commit any time and energy and effort to make it happen. And tell me, you're, 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 you're totally right about that. It's about the gumption to actually make something real, make it possible. You see the opportunities that are there. Nobody's doing it. You fill the space in the market for that and you start being successful. There's also this other thing that we haven't really touched on because you've had such a such an impact in your career on big names and small names. And to do that, to do a performance, to do the work that you have done through a period of time, it takes a mastermind coalition. And that is, that's the band, that's the support people, that's the office people, that's the whole team working together to make Prince, Pink, Shinedown, Stained actually function and go on the road. And you had talked earlier on about how they look for somebody with a certain kind of mindset, and that's the person who can get along, isn't going to cause problems, isn't some of the substance abuse issue, isn't going to get in the way, and these sorts of things, because these traveling ecosystems rely heavily upon people's ability to adapt, to think through problems, to work together. What are a couple of teams or a team that you have worked on through your career that you remember specifically having a wonderful mindset where it was just effortless. Everything fell together and everybody could had a had a let's solve this problem together mindset. The ego was sitting over there and the let's get today's work done is sitting right here. What were the elements of that? Where did you experience that and how did it impact where you go? 
I'll start with my very first world tour with Pink. Um, our our immediate department, our backline department. So the keyboard tech, guitar tech, drum tech, um, people who look after the musicians directly. Um, we were a very, very tight knit unit. And we went from small theaters to playing, you know, 180,000 people. Um, we, in those early years, when we were playing a lot of small venues, there were, nothing was easy. Every day was hard. Every day was brutal. Um, Webster Hall, where you have to, you know, summertime New York City, and you have to go up two flights of stairs with everything. No elevator, just sweat. Jeez. And you're there with the local crew, and you're carrying up every single piece of gear. The consoles, the amps, the everything. Everything's got to get carried up two flights of stairs to get to the venue, and then you got to ramp everything up to get it up on the stage. Uh, to, hey, we have a, we're in Boston today, and we're going to record something for the NFL. And so we're switching to recording studio mode with a bunch of tour stuff. And so now we have to empty an entire semi-truck in this parking lot to get to the musical gear and set up for a recording session. And it's like, this is completely out of the norm, but let's just figure it out. And one way or the other, the show is always going to go on. Whether you're there or not, the show is going to happen. Somebody's going to figure out a way to make whatever it is happen. And those early years with pink that crew that we had um you know we would dissect every problem that we ran into as a team uh there was no well screw you it's your problem not my problem it was an our problem and that was really impactful um i don't always necessarily necessarily experience that on every tour uh sometimes it's very you're just out there by yourself and you're just dealing with your thing by yourself. Sometimes you might have one other person who's on that same wavelength as you. And it's like, all right, cool. Well, it's the two of us versus problems. Um, but that first one was, was what really set my tone because that was my first experience into the industry. I mean, we would sit there. It's like, all right, we're in production rehearsals in Nice, France. And we got to figure out how to get all of our gear to fit within a certain amount of square footage in a truck. And so we sat there as a team and taped it out on the floor and all right, let's get all of our cases together and start stacking and flipping and playing Tetris and see if we can fit it within this space. And we worked together and we, you know, all right, cool. We got it down, wrote it all down. And, you know, we were, our truck was gone driving away in 20 minutes after the show. Um, you know, the campsite that I'm in right this very second, this group of people that I'm working with, same mindset, same mentality of, how can, you know, who's having a problem, who needs help, who has experience to help try to solve that problem? And how can we perform better to get out of the way quicker? Because we're in an opening position. We have 15 minutes to get all of our stuff out of the way. So the next band has 15 full minutes to get all of their stuff set up before they can start their show. And right now we've got it where all of our stuff is off the stage anywhere between four to seven minutes and our trucks are packed within about 12 minutes 15 minutes our doors are closed on our trucks because we sit down and solve problems together and and figure out like all right cool if we do this first and then hold that and then then we can do this 
we'll be faster. We'll be better. How can we work, you know, and, and Hey, there's no room backstage today. All right. We're going to do things completely different because we just don't have the space. So X, Y, and Z, but we talk about it. We have a plan coming into the morning and the morning's plan benefits loading the trucks at the end of the night. And so we talk about things, we work through it all. Um, I've been on some, some teams or some crews where it's, you're just there by yourself. And those are really, really difficult. And they're really, really hard. Um, when I first started working for corn, it was kind of that environment where it's just like, you're there packing a truck by yourself and it's, it's really hard. But when you have a really great team, like I said, that first pink crew, we were so tight and it was uh, such a pleasurable experience working along those people, working alongside with those guys. Um, you have, that, um, you have had some experiences and, you know, be, be, be careful with names here, obviously, um, that have been, um, really tough mm-hmm. and these really tough experiences all seem to revolve around how an ego, even a single one affects the room and how the energy from that specific ego can affect a whole team instilling fear instilling shame and heightening the level of stress that's in the room with an already difficult set of tasks to do what has been your experience there with that sort of thing and how do you work to avoid that now uh i've been very fortunate that I would say every single drummer I've worked with have been exceptional, have been the nicest, kindest, most down to earth. I've been very, very fortunate. Uh, there, I have one bad apple that I worked with. And uh, right from day one, uh, it was a hostile work environment from day one. And it was a great crew. It was a fantastic crew of people, um, even the artists himself. Uh, we're we're wonderful to work with um but that one person i mean his very first interaction with me was uh i was changing the snare drum head and when i'm changing a lot of drum heads i will use a drill um but i'm very careful when you you know when you use a drill because you can damage this but uh having built drums myself in the past and have having cut bearing edges and hammered out shells that were dented and round like i understand what's going on and I'm very careful when I use a drum. Uh, this guy came in and saw me changing a drum head using a drill and started screaming at me from across the room all the way up into my face. You know, just, I was so taken back. I'm like, I really, hey, can't believe you're addressing me this way. Like, I would never speak to you this way. You don't get to speak to me this way, period. Like, that's it. Like, this is unacceptable. And it was at that point right there um, that, you know, I was like, hey, whatever, that's fine. And his, his ego and attitude continued to be at that level. And within like a day or two of being in rehearsals, I got called, actually got called by Sheila E to go work for her. And I had worked with her before when I worked with Prince. She would come out and guest spot and play a couple of songs and I would take care of all of her equipment when I was on pencil. So when she called, I was like, you know what? Absolutely. I went into the produ- production office and said, listen, I'm going to do this first U.S. leg. 
but I'm done after that. I'm, I am not going to be in this environment anymore because this is not acceptable. You don't speak to me this way. You don't act like this and I'm not doing this. So despite me loving that crew and the rest of the band members and everything like the person I directly report to and work with was hostile. And I was like, I, I don't want this and I'm not going to do this. And funny enough, that person has had similar responses with other bands and organizations he's been in because I've had friends in those campsites who report back the same sort of behavior. And, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate that that was my only one. Mm. Every, literally everywhere else has been incredible. I've been very fortunate and very lucky. Um, but I just, I won't tolerate that behavior. Like if you expect a certain level of professionalism out of me, I expect it out of you. You don't, you're no disrespect this way, no disrespect that way. And I just will leave. I, you know, I don't need this. I'm not going to put myself through this for financial gain because my mental health is more important than money in the bank account. Because if I'm not here, then I can't make money and continue to pay bills. And so yeah. taking care of myself is the main priority and being in a, in a environment that is beneficial and supports this part of it is is the main thing so but that was that was my one bad apple and uh yeah i i, I like i said i did that first part of the tour and then as soon as they went to europe i went to go work for Sheila e and had an absolute delightful time working with her you know your story is so incredible because it's a it's really a story of recognizing limitations and bursting through them coming to a point where you're such a revered professional that you are able to pretty well call the shots on what is and is not your environment and you know that when you turn down a gig that you have the kind of horsepower to create the next thing and make it so. And it's 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 beautiful to have watched you through an entire career do do this. And you know, your your humble beginnings coming to a point where you have had to make some pretty substantial pivots in your life to do something different and make it so. So um my my kind of question for you here is that your your daughter your daughter's name is Harlow. How old is she? Uh, five and a half, about to be six. All right. Could you take a moment here and just talk directly to Harlow about the most important things in life and the things that you have learned and the things that have carried you and the things that you want for her to realize about her personal value and what life has been about for you. <clears throat> I don't know why, but that question already got some tears going. Um, always be a good person. Always make smart decisions and always be a good person. And know that everything's always going to work out and you will be in the right place with the right people at the right time. And some days aren't going to be easy. Some days are going to be very hard. And in those moments 
when you feel like you're by yourself and you're in a very dark place, just, just know that I'm always here with you, that you've got angels looking out for you on the other side to protect you, to keep you safe, keep you on the right path. Believe in yourself. Stay strong. Always look for the good in everything and everybody. And just be a good person. Mark, thank you so much for being so transparent, for giving of your time the way that you have today. Thank you for your friendship all of these years. And I really appreciate you sitting down and uh, bearing your soul the way that you have for the last hour and a half here to talk about the high points and the low points and the things that have made for you living a life that is totally authentic to your values. You talked for a moment about your name in this world and having been a part of the same friend circle, your name is highly respected and you are the one that has made that so. So thank you so much for coming and and, and speaking um, and to the uh, Mindful Mutiny podcast. You, you truly have been somebody that has lived uh, a life that has turned your back on things that would have limited your potential. You turned your back on things that would have nailed you down, even though sometimes those things can feel more safe to do than other things. And you've walked through doors that have been dangerous doors of, of what can feel like instability, but you walked through them and you made incredible things out of your life. And you created a life that is a monument for your daughter on how to live a life and take those risks and make the best of things. You've just done absolutely excellent work. So, so thank you so much for, for joining up here. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. And I want to congratulate you on your journey as well. Um, I'm glad that I got opportunity to, to help inspire and, and um, motivate you to, to do what you're doing now. Um, Cause I know it's been a rocky road for you as well. And uh, I'm, I'm so happy to see you where you are as well. And I'm, I'm proud of you and, and uh, I'm very thankful for your friendship over the years and uh, for, for all of our talks like this and uh, wish you so much success in your future as well, man. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this wonderful edition of the Mindful Mutiny podcast. My name is Jeremy Van Wert at jeremyvanwert.com. I'm the CEO of High Altitude Mindset. Everybody, go and be something great.